Rocking into the weekend. It's 539. It's Anna DeVlantis here in for Lisa today. Hope your Friday's awesome so far. We've got um, some of the most gorgeous weather as we head into October uh, for the next couple of days. Highs in the 80s, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, looking at this here. Uh, and then it's sort of a reality check next Sunday, 58. But that's seasonal, you know. And fall is on the agenda for our finances, too, here to explain... John Campbell. He is the Chief Wealth Strategist and Head of Wealth Planning at Calamos Investments. As we finish off our talks with some of the folks over at Calamos, we always say locally based with a global perspective. Some really, really high-level, talented folks at um, Calamos and happen to be right here in our backyard, and we're tapping into your investment advice. Good to see you, John. Great seeing you, Anna. How is your Friday going so far? Oh, it's fantastic. I'm here. (laughs) You always have a positive outlook. I like that. But right now, it's kind of hard to have a positive outlook with the markets. But tell me where you are, tell me as you look um, just kind of broad, how are you feeling? Yes, yes. No, I, I feel good in a sense that the clients that we work with, they look to us to kind of Think about things that allow them to control their finances. Um, think about it from the perspective of controlling the controllable. So there's a lot we can't control. All the more reason that we just focus on the things that we can control, mm-hmm. the things we can impact, and what are the things that are going to allow them to save more, preserve more, grow more, pass on more, whatever those goals and objectives are. And those sound like good goals and objectives, I'll tell you. Um, uh, I want to ask you, because you have this idea about fall is a good time. To yes. kind of take a look at your finances and then check things out. What's your what's your philosophy there, John? No, sure, absolutely, Anna. Um, you know, I think for a lot of your um, listeners, um, fall is probably the last time or the last thing on their mind when they think about finances. Normally, we think about a year in checklist. What do I do in January, come January 2024 and, and, the, and the items that I want to get after? Um, but really, when you think about it, there's a crispness, there's a newness to fall. It's a new season. Kids are going back to school. So it's a new school year. Um, a lot of your sports fans, all of the sports team are starting something new. And you can kind of lean into that excitement by saying, you know, what about the things that are important to me from a financial standpoint? What are some of those goals, some of those aspirations? Maybe I can get a jump start on or Maybe it's a season to kind of inspect what I expect from the standpoint that over the previous months, maybe there are goals, maybe there are objectives, and, and maybe there are certain things I've gotten after, but certain things I haven't gotten after. And yet, in the fall, it kind of reminds you it's not too late. The year's not over yet, so you could still get after those things. And if you really think about it, there's status, um, um, studies that have shown us, Anna, that um, when you think about births um, in the U.S., most births in the U.S. occur between the months of July and October, huh. and of course, some afterwards. And when you think about that, there's going to be a life change. That means there's certain things I need to have as new goals and objectives. And as far as weddings go, most weddings, in fact, over 55% of all weddings take place between the months of August and October. What? So over 50% of all weddings take place in just those three months across the U.S. So with that in mind, there's a lot of change, a lot of transition that's taking place, a perfect time to stop, assess, evaluate, plan, and then execute, move forward with those things. Okay, so let's move on from that. When you talk about portfolio allocation, uh, focus on alignment and objectives. You, you, do you liken this to harvesting? Am I, am I, am I understanding that right? <laughs> well, well I, I would say harvesting would be part of it. Um, harvesting becomes important if you have income needs and other things. And so definitely um, harvesting. But I see what your point in terms of the fall harvest, which brings up something interesting, because sometimes during the course of the year, you may have had stocks or positions that have actually lost value, lost interest um, in, your, in your mind um, concerning whether or not it should be in your portfolio. And if you decide to, ch- to sell those, you're going to realize a tax loss as a result of that. Well, 
What a great opportunity to look at the other side of the coin. What if you've got certain positions where it just grew by leaps and bounds, and maybe you're concerned that it's going to come down again, and, and you don't want to lose some of that value? Maybe it creates an opportunity for you to sell some of those gains, but offset some of the gains by those tax loss harvested in order to keep more of your money from a tax perspective. Huh. That is, yeah, I mean, this, this is a good time to be thinking about that. Leverage your philanthropy, you say, your charitable giving deadlines. Is there a deadline in the fall or what, why do you say that? Why is this a, not a good time for that? No, it's actually a good time, especially a good time, because there's some giving that you can give just outright, not a problem. But then there's some other types of giving that's going to take a little bit more time. And because it takes a little bit more time, you want to be sure you give yourself enough time in order to take advantage of it. So the reason why philanthropy comes into place, and and it's very, very important, because the same clients may have, for instance, we're talking about a concentrated stock portfolio, and maybe they want to diversify, but to sell the stock, they're going to realize a taxable gain. Mm -hmm. Now, what if they're also charitably inclined? You can leverage and use your charitable interest, your philanthropic interest to sell stock, not sell stock, but rather give those shares, those positions to charity and let the charity sell the stock. And because the charity receives it, you don't pay the taxes on it. But here's the other important part. You also get a charitable deduction. So with the charitable deduction, you can use a portion of that to sell and liquidate some of the stock that you still continue to own. So you can gift a stock or yes. like, let's say you own $100 in Apple. I can yes. gift that to the Salvation army. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, that's better than giving cash because a lot of folks sometimes would just give cash unless it's a stock you want to hold on to a little bit further. But you may have gains in your in your portfolio, different positions where you're thinking, I do want to sell it, but at the same time, I'm charitably inclined and maybe I want to give money to the um, Salvation Army. Well, rather than giving cash, give the stock that you otherwise want to sell. You get the full value fair market value of that gift as of the date of gift. And importantly, the Salvation Army will sell the stock. And all of that gain, the Salvation Army will be responsible for it. But because the Salvation Army is a 5013C entity, it's a tax entity. You're giving no them more. Exactly. <gasps> I did not know that. That is fascinating stuff. I mean, I always learn something from you folks. But that is something that is really, it kind of, it, it's a nice way to give. Yes. Um, and we're all looking for that if we're in the position where we can do that, that um, this is yet another option. What else can you tell us, John? What, did, what else are you talking to your clients about? What are you, what are you, what are you um, advising? Sure. So we have a lot of clients um, who traditionally may have even given stocks and they were wondering, is there an even better way to give? So we mentioned cash is probably the least best way to give. Stock is a better way to give. Highly appreciated stock with low, um, fair, um, low cost basis. But there's something else that's available. If you're age 70 and a half, you do have the ability to make what's called a qualified charitable distribution. Under the Internal Revenue Code, what that allows you to do for each person giving up to $100,000 directly from their IRA to a qualified charity. And if you do that before the end of the year, you get you don't get a charitable deduction, but what you do get is the gift made, but also non-recognition of tax on the IRA that you may have had that you transfer. Normally, when you take a distribution from an IRA, you have to pay taxes on that distribution. So whether you're in required minimum distribution mode at the age of 73 and older, or you're a little bit younger, but age 70 and a half, and you want to, and you have an IRA and you want to make a charitable gift, you could do it through the IRA and in giving it through the IRA, that distribution is not taxable to you. So it's a way to benefit charity, but not also have to incur additional taxes on that distribution from that particular account. How about that? The stuff I didn't know. Oh my gosh! What what good advice? Um, what else? What else can you tell us, John? Any more gems you can plant with us? Anything you want people to know? Sticking with the charitable theme, there's something else that might be of interest to many of the listeners. 
let's say you're charitably inclined, but you're concerned about gifting because you need that asset to generate the income that you need. And because of that, you tend not to want to give, but you do want to give, right? right. So you're you conflicted. want to, but you might not be able to exactly. or feel that you're in the position exactly. where you can. So if you're charitably inclined, there is a way to leverage your charitable, intention, your charitable intention in such a way that you could keep more by giving more. And it's counterintuitive, but it works. So, for instance, if you're over a certain age, have a certain net worth, and it's important to work with a qualified advisor, you could give instead of outright to charity where you lose control, you lose access to the income that might otherwise be generated until you make, unless you make the gift in the form of a charitable gift annuity where you make a gift to the charity and the charity has to give you an income stream back. But what if you don't even want to part with that asset totally to the charity? Um, you're thinking that I'm not interested in making a charitable impact now. I want to delay making the charitable impact until some future time, until after I've passed away or whatever that time frame may be. You could take advantage of a charitable remainder trust. With a charitable remainder trust, it allows you to take highly appreciated asset with low cost basis, gift it to the trust. The trust is a tax exempt trust under different tax code provision. The trustee then could sell that asset, not recognize any tax on that gain, but under the tax code, that trust must pay you back an income stream no less than 5%. So again, importance of working with a qualified advisor to take a look at your opportunities, giving your goals and objectives, the things you're trying to achieve, and um, and also importantly, being very, very tax aware in the process. John, you're opening our eyes. I, I appreciate it. appreciate all the insights that you and everyone at Calamos Investments have lended to us this afternoon. It's really, it's it's good to see you. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. And have a good weekend yourself, John, John and see you soon. <laughs> yes, thank you. John Campbell is Chief Wealth Strategist and Head of Wealth Planning at Calamos Investments. we got to check the roads this Friday afternoon and also your weather. And Mary Vandevelt said standing by with that. We were fortunate enough to have John Campbell along for just a couple more minutes here. He, thank you for the time, John. I thought that you had to go or we had to, you know, kind of finish our conversation there. But we can pick it up and we have more, Absolutely. John. <laughs> so good. Good. Um, thank you for sticking around. And I want to ask you about this because we've been talking about the financial picture and the economy. And, and a lot of indi- indicators are sort of pointing in a direction of you know, recessionary, softening times. We look at the major indexes. They're they're all down in September. There's, um, you know, a lot of mixed news, but certainly some some financial data is coming in, and we're, we're wondering how long this is going to last and what the Fed's going to do. Lots of worries. We talked to Matt Freund about his worry list, and, you know, he said that it's not good to worry because a lot of the things you want to worry about really don't end up coming true. So love that advice, but I want to get your your insights here. On 2024, if we look ahead, let's let's just look ahead to the next year, what would you tell all of us? What are you telling your clients? No, that, that's a great um, question, Anna. Um, I, I think what I would say to clients is to maintain a proper perspective. And, and what I mean by proper perspective, we think about what the economy has done historically um, over short-term duration, over an intermediate and longer-term duration. One thing that is, um, um, I think, proven out is that over a long-term period, um, equity, stock, tend to do better than mm-hmm. other types of vehicles. So with that in mind, if I have a short-term need, then maybe – with all of the volatility, I may have a different um, view in terms of equity in the short term. By short term, I'm talking about if I need money in the next 18 months, as an example, um, I might be a little bit concerned. But if I look beyond the 18-month horizon and I look 
to maybe a two to three year horizon, maybe I can start having an allocation that includes a little bit more equity. And certainly, you're going to want interest bearing while at the same time preserving some amount of liquidity to meet those short term needs. But then if I have that third bucket, as it were, looking out beyond that three or five year time horizon, I know now I'm approaching um, statistically, that, see, that that period, if you will, from an investment standpoint, um, those who hold on to certain assets um, will likely see an improvement in those assets, maybe even growth in those assets. So perspective is important. Um, avoiding what I would consider um, behavior finance, meaning this, avoiding the herd mentality. Just because you see everyone else jumping out the window doesn't mean we need to jump out the window either. But we could be very thoughtful, we could be very intentional, and we could be very, I think, um, um, pragmatic in working with a qualified advisor to look at what is our risk tolerance? How much risk can we take? Uh, what are my needs? Are they short, intermediate, long term? Um, some of the clients, um, some of the clients we're having, many in the listening audience, may have a long-term perspective with respect to passing on wealth to the next generation, but for their own personal needs, they may be thinking only a couple of years, and maybe they don't even need those assets. In those particular cases, quite honestly, even though they tend to think two or three years down the road, but maybe there's a bucket of their assets that can be allocated for that long-term legacy planning that's got a longer than five or seven or ten-year time horizon that could be invested a little bit differently. Again, perspective. A lot of individuals may take a look at all of the market volatility and they're going to be concerned, rightly so, and they're going to be worried, rightly so. But others, I think, may see that as an opportunity because with all of the volatility, it may also suggest that there's a loss in valuation of stock that otherwise are good performing stocks from the standpoint of being um, um, revenue and what have you, and yet their values are down. So it's an opportunity to pick up bargains on the investments that you otherwise would want as part of your portfolio. So again, I would say having the right and balanced perspective. Just about a minute left with John Campbell at Calamus Investments. Just can you tell me how, how does a client begin typically when you start with a client from the beginning? And this was someone in-house who asked this. said, like, I, don't, I wouldn't know where to begin. How do you begin with a client? Um, I start with reassuring. I think one of the time, um, often what happens is clients may have done certain things or wish they had done certain things, and they just feel terrible about decisions or indecisions that they've made. And it's important for them to know that they're in good company. So I think it starts with understanding. It starts with the reassurance. And with that reassurance, then with the understanding, to understand their situation. What do they have? What are their um, objectives? What are their concerns? Um, that's how we begin. We begin with a conversation. Mm. We don't always begin with just dollars and cents in terms of what you want to invest. We certainly can, but ideally for that client to get the best value from a planning-centric perspective, let's talk about the things that are truly important, and then let's shape together a strategy that we can execute on, knowing that to support those goals and objectives, there are different strategies to achieve it, and then, then there are different um, um, implementation um, steps that we can um, um, put to stand up against a strategy to achieve those goals and objectives. And you have such a calm, soothing tone about you. You know that, John? I swear, I mean, I, I, you should read all the financial headlines, because it would make me a lot less nervous <laughs> if you're like, you know, recession! It doesn't sound bad when it comes from you. <laughs> it is so good to see you, John. Thanks for sticking around and talking with us and uh, appreciate your time. My pleasure, Anna. Thank you so much. John Campbell is Chief Wealth Strategist. He is Head of Wealth Planning at Calamos Investments. I hope you have a good weekend. It's been good to spend a little bit of time with you here. Anna Devlantis in for Lisa Dent. And uh, again, have a good weekend. W-T-L.